0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Mickey. I'm a worship arts coordinator at Baylife Church.
1: And I'm Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor at Baylife Church.
0: And we want to welcome you to the Stone Table.
1: back to podcasting after a couple of weeks off.
0: Yes, we are. Does we, it
1: feel a little weird? Do you feel like a little rusty and f- out of practice? Yeah, I
0: feel a little out of practice, I got to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, we are so excited to be back. We've been gone for a few weeks and the reason why is because we have been celebrating our 1 year wedding anniversary. Yeah. So, so, uh, <laughs> well, so
1: the first week we were celebrating the, the anniversary. first week we were, the and second week we were catching, catching up.
0: up. Um, so yeah, so the past, um, couple weeks, we've just kind of been getting back into the groove of work and mm-hmm. picking back up. So we are so excited to be back. Uh, Travis and I, uh, spent some time unplugging for our anniversary. It was nice. It I was, felt like, uh, yeah. yeah,
1: I, I felt like a digital detox was necessary.
0: Yeah. So for those of you guys who are wondering, we went and drove up to our family's farm in North Carolina. We did do that. Yes. Uh, one of uh, Travis's c- dad's cousins mm-hmm. uh, has a farm with her husband. And so they were super gracious to host us mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. a few days. And so we stayed on a farm it and was it, cool. it was amazing. We spent a lot of time uh, together and with Cows. <laughs> yeah,
1: cows, horses, all and sorts chickens of yeah, And
0: this really awesome dog named Jake.
1: Jake is a legend. And I'm not a dog person per se, but Jake might convert me to being a dog <laughs> person. He yeah. also spent a night on the mountain, which uh well, yes, on, we went on, camping right, for yeah. one of those I say nights. the mountain like everybody knows. Yeah. Like, oh, they went to the mountain. <laughs> the mountain. Yeah, so we spent a night camping, which I'm going to be. I guess
0: Rowan Mountain is the mountain. It is the you mountain. You want to be on. Right, Side it's, note. <laughs> it's
1: the best place to camp on the Appalachian Trail. Yes. Hopefully we don't ruin that spot by sharing it on the air, but I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to admit <laughs> to you, the um, every time I go camping,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I am super excited about it until the sun goes down.
2: It's terrifying. And
1: then the minute the sun goes down, and especially when the fire starts to die, I immediately think to myself, I've made a huge mistake (laughs) and this is the night that I'm going to go to go to be with the Lord.
0: Yeah. So the trick is what what we try to do is just stay up as long as possible Mm -hmm. so that we're as tired as possible. Right. So that by the time the fire dies down, Mm -hmm. we are kind of ready to sleep. So what we do is we try to keep the fire going for as Mm -hmm. long as possible so we can stay up, stay up, stay up until it's super late. And then we have no choice but to fall asleep because we're tired. Right.
1: Because the <laughs> problem is once you're in the woods and the lights are out and mm-hmm. the sun is down, every snapping twig, every falling acorn- Is terrifying. You're pretty sure that it's either a grizzly bear or like a ghost or a witch in the woods coming to get you.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so. yeah. Darkness on a mountain just is darker, it's, right? It's like,
1: primal. You just evil. can't
0: see anything. <laughs> so,
1: so yeah. So, it was great. Hiking up there. And well, it was great when the sun came up. It was great for you. Up. I wow. had a hard
0: time with the hike. I'm oh, not going to lie, you guys.
1: Yeah, it was okay. It was a little difficult. I was a,
0: I was a little tired. My but, pack was a little heavy. That's true. But yeah. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was really foggy. We could barely see what was going on. Mm-hmm. So we kept thinking we were close and close and we weren't.
1: And... and and we finally made it. Yeah, but we did make we it. We did make it. We did yeah. make it. Yes. And once the sun came up in the tent, it was awesome. It was amazing. Once, once we knew we had survived the night, it was, it was really good. Um, it's such
0: a feeling of accomplishment, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. To you know you've survived a night in the wilderness. It, it, yeah, I feel. Yeah, I feel in touch with my roots.
0: Yes. So, so uh, during that time, Travis and I just spent a lot of time reflecting uh, on our first year of marriage, on our wedding, and just kind mm-hmm. of reminiscing of what a sweet time that was. Yeah, it was. Which brings us to.
1: Here we go. We're, got, we're transitioning we're tra- to the Here's our segue. Here's yeah. our segue.
0: Because our guest for today actually officiated our wedding. It's true. <laughs> so today on the show, we have the one, the only Tom Icom.
1: Yeah, Tom Icom serves here as the executive pastor at Baylife Church, and he has served in that role since 2005. So mm-hmm. Tom has been here for 15 years. And as we were kind of prepping for this interview, I was trying to remember my earliest memory of Tom. Yeah. And I don't have one. I feel like he's just always (laughs) always been here. He's always been in my life. Yes. uh,
0: And for that, we are very thankful.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Tom Icom is one of our absolute favorite people in the whole world. He and his his family are incredible. Mm -hmm. And he's just done a a great job of serving our church faithfully as the executive pastor. And so... Together, Tom and Mickey and I have a conversation about his journey in ministry and what the Lord has been teaching us as a church and and mm-hmm. the church maybe on the whole yeah. in the midst of this uh, kind of unprecedented pandemic season.
0: That's right. So we are so excited to share this conversation with you guys. So without further ado, I'm Mickey.
1: And I'm Travis.
0: And this is The Stone Table.
1: Well, Tom Icom, thank you so much for joining us today uh, to have a conversation for the podcast. This has been a long time coming. It has. <laughs> I know I've tried to avoid you for quite a while. <laughs> it's been, I feel like it's been months of us like slowly you. <laughs> bothering you into this. But man, I'm so excited to, to have you here to uh, to talk. And, and we have kind of this classic question that we ask everybody as we start the show off, um, especially for people who the listeners may not may not know, although I think a lot of people are going to know you. Mm-hmm. But I still want to start with the question, which is, are you a cat person or a dog person? And then the second part is why or why not? OK, uh,
2: so I do own both. I have two dogs and a cat. Right. But uh, I am totally a dog person. Yeah,
0: I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, to,
2: sorry to disappoint you. It's guys. OK. <laughs> You it's know, okay. We've
0: heard some rumors though that your cat's not very nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, know what Travis I, has told me. You know, me. My,
2: cat, my cat's not bad. Like, it does some funny things. Like, it can mm-hmm. flush the toilet. And oh, that's right. I can have do heard some that. Some weird, but yeah. Honestly, my daughter gets married here in January, mm-hmm. right. and the cat's going with her.
0: Oh, I'm, really? Okay. I'm pretty
1: excited about that. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> so I've I've
1: dog sat for you before, which means I've also cat sat for you. <laughs> right. And, and learning that the cat could flush the toilet. I thought your house was haunted at first, man. Like, <laughs> so I was you didn't know room. this
0: when you, started? I, you might've
1: mentioned it, but I probably wasn't paying attention because sure. I was in the other room and I hear the toilet flush. Oh wow. <laughs> and I was so afraid. Like I was terrified and I ran in the cat just kind of trots out. And- we got oh. an old video
2: of the cat actually flushing the toilet and when the, when the kids were little. Really? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it flushes it and then plays with the water on the way down. And <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so um, the problem was it was flushing it at like you know two in the morning, three in the morning. Of that's course,
0: that's fun. when our cat likes to wreak havoc in our home. Yeah, his favorite thing is the blinds. He likes pushing down the blinds and blinds and, and peeking out the window,
1: staring at the neighbors. So nosy. Yeah, so, he's
2: obnoxious. So I don't really love my cat, but the one thing that I do like that my cat does is it hunts frogs. Wow! <gasps> and so wow! It, inside okay. The house, and then it brings them because. Cat is my daughter's cat, so okay. it, right. it brings them into my daughter's room, who is deathly afraid oh, of frogs. Oh, wow! <laughs> so it's kind of a cool little combination. <laughs> yeah. So you
1: know the, when the frog has been delivered when you hear tegan scream from the other room yeah because
2: it doesn't kill it right away so the frog starts oh, in the oh that's no. so can play with it, so horrific it's, yeah.
0: yeah that's what Augie does he likes to play with his prey so he doesn't kill it right away yeah he just kind of pinpoints it for us so we know that there's something in the house when we hear him rustling about because he's playing with like yeah. a bug or whatever I Feel like
1: it's evidence of the fall like it's just sadistic mm, yes yeah <laughs> <but>. so horrible <laughs>
2: So, to, But to answer your question fully, I am a large dog person. So yeah. my favorite is uh, the Labrador Retriever. Mm. Love, 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 love Labs. Those yeah.
1: are cute. Maddie we'll is, is that dog's name, yes. right? Maddie's yeah. a great dog, I will say. <laughs> I'm not a dog person, but Maddie is a great dog. Some
0: you. dogs are exceptions. Yes. Some of them are really cool. Absolutely. So, Tom, I wanted to go ahead and start by saying my first memory of you is when my family came to Baylife for the very first time, it was week one of the Bama seat. Oh, no way. Yes. And you were doing that. And and I asked Travis, well, what was your first memory of Tom? And he I, had no idea. because I,
1: <laughs> I feel like I've known you forever. Because we've known you, hey, you for so long. Were, you were here when I came. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So, so yeah, my first time at Baylife was in 2009, I believe.
1: So this was the first time we did the Baymissi. It was Because we did it again recently.
0: Right. Last year. But the very first time that we did it in 2009. And that's when we got to, we didn't meet you, but you were the first kind of face that we saw on stage. Oh,
2: okay.
0: So that was 2009, but you have been here for a while. So before that, you came to Baylife in what, 2005?
2: 2005, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So we wanted to ask you, how did you end up at Baylife? Life? Starting with discerning your call to ministry. So we're going to take it all the way back to whenever you uh, figured out that the Lord was calling you to the work of ministry and then how that led you to here at Baylife.
2: So sure. Um, When I was at uh, Arizona State uh, finishing up my undergrad, um, I I was hoping to graduate early and uh, go back and go to flight school, move back to Chicago and go to flight school. So I had started both flight school and college at the same time. And I ran out of money, and my dad said, mm. hey, you got to pick one, but if you want to continue to live at the house for free, you'll go to college. So since I didn't have any money, it kind of made decision, a decision made. for him. Yeah, <laughs> like, we'll give you a decision, but it's not really a decision. Yeah. So I ended up transferring to Arizona State, and I was trying to graduate early, and uh, I was finishing up a summer sem- semester, and I got into a scooter accident.
1: Like a... Like a motorized scooter?
2: Or like so a- I had a Honda Elite 80. <laughs> <laughs> and I was coming home 10 o'clock at night from playing basketball. Okay. And uh, someone I was at a dead stop, and someone hit me going 60 miles an hour wow. from behind. So, wow. uh they looked up, saw the light was green, came around the corner, didn't realize the traffic wasn't moving, and just started to brake when it slammed into me. Mm-hmm. So I was the first one they hit, and it ended up being a seven-car pilot. <gasps> Holy so cow. I shot up in the air. Landed on the guy's hood and wow. then rolled into the middle lane. And, you know, luckily or Providence, no one was uh, yeah. no one was coming down the middle lane. Yeah. So spent about a week or so in the hospital. Had to have a little bit of knee surgery. Wow. And uh, had to drop out of my summer semester. Okay. Okay. So then I had like six hours left to take um, in, into the spring semester. Okay. So... Wow. I had a bunch of time on my hands. I was just <laughs> working full time, going six hours to school. And so I stopped by. We just got a new middle school pastor uh, at the church I was going to. And I said, hey, listen, can I just hang around the office, figure out yeah. what you guys do? And and he's like, I've been praying for an intern. And so oh. I said, oh, okay, great. Yeah, How much does that pay? Uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Ministry internships are not a no, <laughs> not a lucrative career path. No, no,
2: definitely not. So yeah. after about after the semester of that, um, I enrolled in seminary the next semester because I just knew that that's really the direction my life was taken and it wasn't going to go back to flight school. Okay. Wow. Gotcha.
1: So I, I know that from that, I don't know your whole sort of journey, but you, you pastored in Arizona. And then uh, did you also go back to Illinois for a while? Go back. I don't know if that's where you were originally from. I, but
2: I am. I grew up outside of Chicago. Okay. Uh, after... Um, Nicole and I got married, mm-hmm. uh, we moved back up to Chicago, uh, so I could finish seminary and, uh, I kind of did a tour of seminaries. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I was moving back up to Trinity up in, uh, Deerfield mm-hmm. okay. and, yeah. uh, ended up with an internship, um, at a church that I used to go to when okay. I was growing up. Okay. Yeah. And so we were up there for a year or so and then, uh, we moved to South Carolina and I worked oh, cool. uh, three years in a town called Paulis Island, which oh, is where we sometimes send kids, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then I was in Dallas for seven years. Right. And those both those stops were working with students. Okay. And then uh, then we moved here.
1: So having done mm-hmm. kind of like, I mean, student ministry in a variety of places, I, I guess I wonder what are some of the differences of doing ministry between Arizona, Illinois, South Carolina, Dallas, Texas, yeah, yeah.
2: So I would say Illinois and Arizona were pretty similar, except for the fact that you could be outside all year round in Arizona. Ah, wow. true. Um, didn't have to worry about the winter and those kind of things. <laughs> South Carolina was a little bit of a sh- culture shock for the Chicago kid. <laughs> uh, so uh, I loved it. And you know, we were at, you know, a beachfront community and, and such, but uh, had not had much interaction with the South. Right. Mm. And so that was kind of an eye opener. Um, in a good way i learned a lot of a lot of new phrases and and uh, <laughs> although we were both speaking english we we definitely talked differently yeah uh, in south sure. carolina so it was it was great it was, all the stops were were wonderful for us
1: yeah can i ask when you moved to south carolina did you cultivate a love of sweet tea or has that not not ever Developed. made sense <laughs> to you so I, yeah. I did
2: i did like the sweet tea uh are boiled peanuts i never really could could get into that. I and, don't get uh, it. Yeah. it. Yeah, What are you doing? It, it doesn't make cough. any sense yeah. to me. Yeah, because <laughs> even
1: the seasoning is it's still on the outside. So it, like, and the way they say it was like
2: <laughs> bored peanuts, and I was like, your peanuts are bored. I don't understand. <laughs> <that." Yeah. laughs>
0: So, and you mentioned that you um, worked in student ministry and now you are the executive pastor of our church. So you've had a lot of experience in different areas within the church. Um, but one thing that Travis and I talked about in prepping for this interview is that we really appreciate your willingness uh, to help people kind of discern their own calling to ministry. Um, and that's been true in our in our lives. Yeah, you absolutely. have given us so many opportunities to uh, just grow and to have – the chance to have that discernment. And so um, obviously this is very important within the life of the church to raise up young leaders uh, and people who work for the kingdom. So uh, how did this kind of become a passion of yours and why is it so important?
2: So definitely it's, it's, it is super important. Obviously uh, the next generation is always coming, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, there's some distinct warnings in scripture about passing along what you have learned and what you know. And, and so, uh, I believe that that goes with really the call of ministry and having, uh, train up, uh, other, uh, ministry workers. And so, um, for me, I think the calling really started just in seeing it modeled in my own life. I had several different influential people that, uh, you know, built into me from the, even from the time that, uh, I started as a, uh, as a middle school pastor, um, you know, where, where I started, sorry, I started as an intern Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the guy was like, Hey, listen, yes, I'd love to build into you. Why don't you come, come intern for me. And and so just watching him model that for me and, uh, other people at that church, um, the senior pastor taking time to take me out, um, just speak into my life. And so it was so influential in my own life Mm -hmm. that, um, I just saw that as a model for, uh, releasing other people into ministry. Yeah.
1: One of the things that I really appreciate about the way that you've done that here at our church is that I feel like you have the ability to see not just who people are, but who, who they could be if given the right opportunities, um, which I think has, has led you to, to take some really bold risks. I mean, I took over college and career when I was like 24 years old (laughs) and I look back on who I was at 24 and I'm like, man, Tom saw something (laughs) that I don't know that, that even other people would have seen, um, so, so obviously it's risky. How do you kind of, um, how do you, how do you cultivate sort of a sense of bravery when you step into just inviting, uh, new people into leadership?
2: Yeah, I think you just, you have to recognize that, uh, people are going to make mistakes and that's, you know, if you can minimize the impact of those mistakes and they can make them, uh, underneath your umbrella, mm-hmm. uh, that's a better learning tool. So yeah, sure. I, I, I consider yeah. like raising kids, right? right i I want i don't want my kids to be perfect in my house i want them to make the mistakes so that i can build into them Mm. in those times so that when they go off they've already learned some of the lessons that they need to learn to help them uh same with you know uh releasing someone into ministry everyone's going to make mistakes i made tons (laughs) of mistakes growing up but someone was patient enough with me uh would come around me and tell me the hard truth and uh, would love me regardless and And so for me, that was just the model of how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That's good.
0: That's really good. And I feel like that's been my experience here at Life, both being a student here and growing up here and also working here. I feel like the leadership at our church has done such a great job of giving us the opportunities to serve and lead and and grow. So we're very thankful for that. Can I
2: tell you just how much of a joy that is to watch and see you guys grow and develop and, and see, um, you know, we're not just the ones uh, teaching, we're also the ones learning. Because Mm, uh, for us to reach the next generation, you gotta have people in the next generation speaking into your Mm. life as well.
1: you've pastored for a long time. Um, we didn't put exact dates on it, but when when did you get into ministry initially?
2: Uh, so I started my first internship in Arizona in goodness ninety two. Wow. Okay. So I was I was walking
1: at that point. Oh, good. just barely. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> You're gonna feel so old. Then, <laughs> yeah. Right?
0: So twenty eight years you've been working in ministry.
1: Wow. Yeah. So in in that you have seen uh, our, our country and the church go through kind of a variety of different crises, whether it was the, uh, the recession uh, in 2008 mm-hmm. or September 11th uh, in 2001, uh, and, and now COVID. And, and obviously, um, each crisis is different and unique in some ways, uh, but I'm just wondering for you, having pastored through all of these different events, mm-hmm. how does the, the moment that we're in right now, how does it feel similar, and how does it feel dissimilar, unique, as compared to some of the other stuff that you've led churches through.
2: So some of the um, ways in which it feels similar is really the, um, the unknown, right? Uh, And when this first came on, everyone didn't really know exactly what the disease would be, what, what it would cause, what ramifications certain steps would take. I mean, we've never gone through a pandemic. So uh, as a, as a world, we were kind of all uh, trying different ways to address it and deal with it. And so mm-hmm. no one really knew what was coming. So that uncertainty is, is there. For the sure. other ones as well, there was uncertainty in 9-11. What happens next? You know, the world in which you knew has now been changed. Right. Yeah. The things in which uh, you relied on being consistent are now no longer consistent. Hmm. And so um, you just kind of have to look at, okay, what are the what are the things you're actually relying on? Um, I, I look at it uh, a lot like when I went off to school for the first time. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you had all these things kind of building you up and and holding you up. Um, when I was in, in my community and in my church and all of a sudden I moved all the way across the country and Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a church. I had to figure out, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? Right. Right? All the, all the props to hold you up and to help you were gone and, and stripped away. Yeah a lot of times those props become more important to God than more important to us than God is. Right. 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 And so you have this, um, these moments in history and these moments in time where those props are removed Mm -hmm. and you got to figure out who is it or what is it that I really am believing in and and that I'm really holding on to for, uh, for, for salvation, for strength, for uh, the ability to live. And so I think those ways, the, all those events are pretty similar. It it makes you Mm -hmm. really focus on what's important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, what would you say is kind of unique to this moment? Um, what are some of the unique challenges that this has brought out for our church, but also just Christians and churches on the whole? I know you talk with other executive pastors pretty consistently. And so,
2: so there's, there's a lot that's unique about this one, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I would say the growth of uh, social media has been pretty, had a pretty interesting effect on our view on this one. Yeah. Uh, the isolation. Mm. Whereas, you know, um, 9-11, goodness, people came to church. Yeah. People came together. Uh, yeah. And uh, this one, you know, we go to our homes and we live in isolation except for what we type on a keyboard. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, there's so much misinformation out there about everything that's happening. And so... Uh, you have two very different views, especially in our country, in terms of how to handle uh, the, the the disease, and so right. and the impacts from that. So that's been pretty interesting to navigate because you're trying to really point people to Jesus and minister to people that go here that have really different views on the virus itself and and what the effect of it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the interesting challenges.
0: Definitely, and like you said, we have not gone through a pandemic, not in the last hundred years. Right. right. So there have been pandemics before in history, just right. in this moment in our lifetime. Yeah. This is kind of the first time that we have gone through something like this and not just in our country, but nationally all over the world. So I think, I mean, that's, I, I, I see that as something very unique about our time.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember even when this was first starting, like back in February, mm-hmm. I, I would scroll through Apple news and like, one article of the 15 in Apple news would be COVID related. And then it was, you know, four or five articles. I mean the, it was almost like a pandemic and that slowly, yeah, but surely information. It, was, it was building yeah. and people get more information about it. Yeah. yeah, And I, I remember telling Mickey at one point, like this, this might be a thing. Maybe we should get a couple extra cans of food every time we go to the grocery store. And you thought I was crazy. you were like, this isn't, well, this isn't like <laughs> n- nobody's going to know anything about this in the next like week or two. And then, uh, Unfortunately, we didn't stock, we didn't stock up on toilet paper or hand we, sanitizer. We didn't think uh, that that would yeah. be
0: uh, an issue at hand, but yeah. now we know.
1: <laughs> but, but I think it, I mean that, that kind of just underscores the fact like we were learning in real time as yes. we walked through this and, yes. and, and we were dealing with the same kind of contradictory information that everybody else was. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to lead God's people well, but also like they don't have seminary classes on pandemics right? that yeah. I know of. maybe, maybe <laughs> you got you, maybe you got one and, uh, Hey, no,
2: but, um, you know, we had some really good co-ops of uh, getting together with other executive pastors and, mm. and finding out what they were doing. Uh, a lot of our neighborhood churches, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, we're part of the Tampa Bay Baptist Association. So they actually pulled in, did some uh, video conferences with us. Mm. And we were able to kind of talk through what the different churches are doing, how we're are responding to this um, all the way through it. and. I've been a part of Leadership Network for a while, and so had uh, some some people all across the country who have been able to pick up the phone and call and say, "And what's different about your spot right now? Where are you in? Yeah, mm, and right. how we're handling it here in Florida uh, and is different than obviously other states, and sure. that changes day to day depending on what's happening in that state. And so uh, some of those things." other states have already gone through and other churches have already gone through. Mm -hmm. And so they gave us some great insight. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. And there's so much wisdom in gathering with other uh, believers, especially in leadership roles who can come together. Right. Right distantly and yeah. navigate these problems to meet the need of what's going on right yeah. now.
1: Well, I mean, even, even on this show in the last six months, we've had uh, Pete Stewart who's over in Glasgow where uh, very different rules in the UK. Yep. Uh, and then we had one oh, of your see. friends as well, Melissa, who's in Argentina and, and even how the churches in Glasgow versus Argentina versus Florida are navigating mm-hmm. this are, are mm-hmm. different. And yet I think us having that consistent conversation how do we shepherd God's people well wherever we are is is good. It's awesome that that you were able to kind of connect with other church leaders through that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's just uh real beauty in being able to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Things. Yeah. So
2: I think the other thing that, you know, and that the other thing that kind of set us up for this was We had already started moving towards certain technology pieces Mm -hmm. at our church. And so we were actually ahead of the curve than uh, a lot of the other churches that were in those meetings and groups. And so, um, you know, we had some folks on staff that were already diving into the Zoom calls. And and so they were able to help get the other life groups up to speed. We had already kind of changed up our social media and our um, online presence. Mm -hmm. And so... It was, it was really neat how God had already kind of prepared us for a lot of right. those things that, that were coming down the pike.
1: Yeah. So with kind of this unique moment where Christians are collaborating across uh, churches and, and even across states and countries, what are maybe some of the innovations you've seen, the ways that you've seen churches growing and, and God teaching us new things in the midst of this uh, pandemic season?
2: Yeah, yeah that's, that's an awesome question. Uh, obviously, there's been some you know, changes to how church happens, right? Technology has become, uh, or became, at least for a large portion of the year, a large piece of, um, of how ministry happened. But I think the wise churches went beyond technology, um, and for a lot of them kind of got back to the basics that they needed to get back to. Mm. Like, you know, uh, how do we equip the family to do the discipleship? But better, you know, uh, do people just rely on coming to church for discipling their kids? Um, how do we connect with those that maybe can't get out as much? And so, some of the some of the things that the pandemic helped us in terms of innovation was to refocus on the things that are uh, important, aren't maybe not refocus, re-examine how well yeah. we're doing in some of those things. And so, um, that kind of became a, a a change and a transformation. The innovation piece has really taken place as well in that, you know, life Group started going on Zoom. Um, We saw people connect in that way. Uh, You saw it in your foundations. Yeah, uh, that's been
1: mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean,
2: we used to do foundations and we would get 20 or 30 to come into a class if it was a really well-attended class because they're up here and you had them take the extra time to drive up here. You know, now we're getting 130, 120 that are logging onto the class from church. And so um, you know, part of that is uh, they're they're at home and they, they have access to the technology and they don't have to drive anywhere and they can log on, they can learn, they can interact. Um, and so so those are some really neat things that are taking place. Yeah. Um, we've been able to see some connection take place online, and mm. uh, you know we've seen, People from different areas in the country join some of our life groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen some people come to know Christ because of that. Yeah, uh, and so those kind of things are things that we weren't thinking about last year.
1: Yes. Right. And so this yeah. has
2: been kind of neat to see. You know, where uh, something like a pandemic steps in and forces you to, first of all, reexamine what's important, yeah. and then secondly, reexamine: okay, are there is there a different way we can do this. Mm-hmm. That could have a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: One one of the phrases I've used is it's kind of wiped the board for us, right? Like there, there are all these things that that we were maybe doing consistently that we just can't do in the midst of a pandemic, and it has kind of taken us back to the the basics of ministry. How do we disciple people? How do we equip people? How do we strengthen families to be kind of that that small church in their homes? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it's it's kind of pushed us back to this in and out burger view where <laughs> we do a few things really, really well, and we've got to invest in that. So I think it's been... The uh, exciting
2: thing is that that base was there. We were doing those things. Right. We were seeing those things happen and yeah. all over, but those things became even more highlighted uh, during this time. And and for people who maybe hadn't, didn't have that on their radar, yeah. all yeah. of a sudden realized I need that on my radar. Yeah,
0: for sure. And, and to that, I would ask, you know, what are some of the things that we can retain from the season? What are some lessons that we're learning right now that you think will still be valuable even post-pandemic, whenever that day comes? Um, because like you said, as a staff and as a church, and, and churches are doing this all over the world, we're reevaluating how we're doing things and, and just kind of refocusing our attention to what's really essential. So And there are so many things I feel like that are coming out right now Mm -hmm. from all the ideas and the brainstorming that we're doing that can be retained and used in the future. So to that, I would ask what are some lessons that you think that we can be learning right now that we can still apply in the future?
2: Well, I think it would be a tragedy if we got away from some of those basics that we went back to and learned and refocused on. Mm -hmm. And so um, continuing to help families and parents to uh, model and disciple their, their kids, uh, continuing to highlight and push forward, uh, discipleship. Um, you know, one of the things that we saw in this is life groups really looking for different ways to minister to each other. And so those connections, uh, are, are incredibly important. And so, yeah. you know, continuing to make sure that those are highlighted, that we're helping people connect in those, um, are, are, are going to be, Extremely important going forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the phrases that I've uh, started to see a lot is pandemic fatigue, uh, which Mm -hmm. I I think is appropriate. Everybody's just exhausted. You know, I was thinking back on what life was like this time last year. And it feels like, it feels like a past life, right? It it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, a year ago.
0: It feels like a lifetime ago. Right. It feels (laughs) like a
1: lifetime ago. Uh, and, And I think there are a lot of people who are, are, growing discouraged in, in the face of, you know, this continuing to drag on. But, but I do think that there's signs of what God's up to and there are th- reasons to be hopeful and encouraged in the midst of this difficult season. Uh, what would be some of the things that you would point people to uh, as just kind of a source of hope for what God is up to in the midst of uh, this moment?
2: So I think one of the things that's pretty interesting, I think from our viewpoint, um, exhaustion, uh, fatigue, is a bad thing. And, Mm. uh, you know, I think there's a lot in the scriptures about rest, but I also think that those are the incredible moments that God sometimes meets us Mm. and, uh, does a work in us Mm. if we're open to it. And so, um, I, I think you see times in scripture where, uh, the person doing the ministry or the person involved in the ministry got hit with the challenge at a fatigue point. And, you know, you see good examples and, and poor examples. Um, I think of a poor example, you know, Elijah running away, uh, incredible (laughs) victory. And, um, you know, I was just reading, uh, John chapter four, preparing for college group tomorrow night. And the thing that struck me there is uh, Jesus after walking was exhausted and he sat down by the well, right. Mm -hmm. And he sat down because he was exhausted. And then in came a, a Samaritan lady that he just saw through and saw the opportunity that was there. Yeah. I think we sometimes. We try to be great and God gives us these incredible little moments uh, where we can, where he can step into with us and use us to make a big difference. Mm. Um, You know, when I get home and I get exhausted and I, and I got to make dinner and I'm out there grilling, my neighbor has an outdoor cook kitchen and she and her husband are cooking all the time out there. And that's just, you know, I might be so tired of talking to people. But all of a sudden she'll, she'll look at me, and she'll go, Mr. Tom, what are you making? And uh, mm. we'll just have this incredible conversation if I'm willing to step into it in that moment. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I would look for in the exhaustion, look for the ways that God is moving uh, and look for the ways that, um, you know, he might use you that you didn't really expect or think about. Mm.
1: That's good. That's awesome. Man, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, uh, this afternoon for the show. And, uh, thanks for all you do here at our church. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Stone Table. If you enjoyed this conversation with our friend Tom Icum as much as we did, do us a favor and rate and subscribe. That helps us to get the word out. Also, we would love to hear from you. So if you've got a topic you'd like for us to cover on the show or any questions you'd like for us to tackle on the air, do us a favor and send us an email at the at baylife.org, or you can reach out to us through our Instagram, the stone table podcast for Baylife church. I'm Travis, and this is the stone table.